TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he is every week, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, two things. First of all, that is a lovely Chewbacca holiday sweater you're wearing today. Well, thank you. Uh, I uh, I wore it because all I want for Christmas is chew. And, um, you know... Um, no, it's that time of the year uh, as we're recording this episode and going to a party after we record, and it's an ugly Christmas sweater party. And of course, the only ugly Christmas sweaters these days are the ones that are intentionally "quote unquote" ugly. Uh, right. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I'm wearing this. So, but I am I excited to be here because I feel like we have a humdinger of an episode to talk about. Well, we do. And that's the other point I wanted to make is that I heard that since last time we recorded, you got into a little tiff with the Vulcans. And I think we need to talk about that today. Oh, I mean, they are driving me crazy. Well, they'll do that. Sometimes you just want to throw them out the airlock. (sighs) If only. (laughs) So today, yes, we are going to talk about Vulcans and humans and rough relations as we dive into Shadows of Pajem. And here's a quick rundown of the episode. Six months after the Klingon crash landing in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, tensions run high between the Vulcans and Starfleet after Andorian commandos destroy the monastery at Pajem. The rift leads to potentially earth-shattering, pardon the Homo sapiens club terminology, changes when the Vulcans suspend joint fleet operations and recall to pull. But an excursion to the planet Corridan offers an opportunity, albeit an unpleasant one, to bridge the chasm. There's a lot of intrigue and adventure in this follow-up to the Andorian incident. So let's jump right in. And Matthew, let's start off with that rift in relations. We finally see that animosity and mistrust boil over as the Vulcans attempt to place blame on Earth. And the humans push back. You know, Forrest says, well, hold on, you guys a bit to blame yourself. Mm-hmm. What I was really interested by this was, I was surprised and, and not shocked, honestly. You know, the Vulcans got their hands caught in the cookie jar. And now they're trying to blame somebody else, you know, uh, as to why things went wrong. And what I found most interesting in it is that even Forrest, when he's talking to Archer, is kind of parroting back what he's heard about the Andorians from the Vulcans. Because we don't know anything about the Andorians. We We don't really have a relationship with them. And... The only person who has any kind of relationship with the Andorians that's human is Archer and, you know, Shran and their little thing going on in the sense that, you know, Shran feels like he owes uh, a debt to Archer because he saved his life. And so, I mean, 
it, it's fascinating to me how much of this seems so relevant for the world we live in and that everybody yeah. is going on hearsay and yep. bl- trying yep. to blame somebody else for their problems and not taking responsibility. And it's like, well, this is not really an Earth problem. Earth just kind of got caught in the middle of it because of something that was already happening between these two races. So, I mean, it's it really is fascinating to watch this and to kind of just see how not a lot has changed in in a couple hundred years. I mean, very similar to what we see today. Yeah, exactly. Even before you said that, as you were talking about Admiral Forrest just kind of parroting what he's hearing from the Vulcans. It's exactly what I was thinking. Actually, my mind went straight to social media. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I read frame. it on Twitter. It's got to be true. <laughs> right? Well, well, not just that, but it's how people frame others based on oh, hearsay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because all you yep. have to do is just make up something these days and say it a few times. And then this person believes it. And then they say it. Next thing you know... A large community has this one image of a person that's not true because it's just hearsay. And anyway, that applies here in in how Forrest is viewing the Andorians. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting because he's going on the word of a group of people who he already doesn't really believe or trust that much. Humans are suspicious of the Vulcans because the Vulcans have withheld information from them in the past, held back their warp program, treated them like they're not ready to stand on their own. And yet when something like this comes up, he's ready to believe them. Well, and without any thought process of maybe we should try to create a relationship with the Andorians on our own to see if that's the case. Because, and, and, isn't that kind of one of the things about this episode that we see that relationships between the, the Vulcans and the humans could be better if they spent more time together, right? Archer right. and Paul yeah. have created a relationship that goes beyond anything that we've seen for these two species, right? And Phlox even mentions that to Paul. Archer has a relationship that's building with Shran, even though he doesn't really realize it, that is going to be pivotal to the relationship between Earth and Andor. Mm-hmm. It, it's just fascinating to me, though, and how, again, it plays out. Like, if we don't try to create our own relationships with people and just take other people's word on them then yes, we are just going to believe the hearsay that yeah. uh, we hear about them instead of actually – because we if we just start lumping people into groups and painting with really broad brushes, it it bad things happen, right? And so right. – um, and I think this is this episode is clearly showing how bad of an idea that is and that there is a much better way to go about this. Yeah. It's an interesting point. I'm going to just jump ahead on the timeline a little bit, which we don't do too much, but this is a rewatch podcast. So we are assuming everyone knows the entire Enterprise story. You made the point there that Archer and Shran are building a relationship that's going to be important to the Earth and or Andorian relationship in the future. But it's even more than that. Forrest here, I think he has some trepidation about the Andorians and he's prone to 
listen to the Vulcans because he's a bit fearful of Earth getting dragged into some kind of interstellar conflict for which they're not prepared. But later on, it's this relationship between Archer and Shren that helps save Earth because in the Mm -hmm. Zindi conflict, if Archer had not established this relationship with Shran, who would have come to the rescue? <laughs> no one. So so I think that's also <laughs> where, you know, like living in your own little box and, and being suspicious and fearful and not trying to build relationships can come back to bite mm-hmm. you in ways that you may not anticipate. Well, and, and another thing too, Chris, and, and the thing that really stood out to me in this episode was seeing how... We know we talk a lot about the idea of and we talked about with uh, Dear Doctor and this idea of the prime directive. And, you know, obviously this show is alluding to the fact that they would create this doctrine and when and how they'll create it and why. I think the Vulcans are one of the reasons we're going to learn to not get involved in other people's business like this. They're they're intimately involved in, uh, you know, a civil war, even though everybody's downplaying it again. Let's not. I mean, what is that, you know, famous quote uh, from George Orwell where he talks about the idea of the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears and it was their final most essential yeah. command? You're like, that's kind of what everybody's doing here on Corridon, right? Like, yeah. pay no attention to the civil war behind the curtain, you know, like that's right. And and so well, they don't call it a civil war. So yeah, they, therefore I mean, it is not. Right. I mean, if we don't call something something, it isn't. You know, it's just, it's the semantical games of ridiculous uh, language use that I, I'm so annoyed with these days as well. But mm-hmm. that point aside, I think what this episode shows is that one of the reasons that they're going to create the Prime Directive is not just because of the incidents with Earth, but the things that we learn from other species like the Vulcans. You know, the Vulcans yeah. got themselves intimately involved with our business and i think they did that out of genuine interest and hope that they could help us right and it hasn't Mm -hmm. always been smooth or easy but here i mean they're they're involved in a civil war and that goes beyond their interest in these people it has more to do with their own self-interest and the the fight with the andorians that they have this kind of cold war that's going on with them and so it's like i i was really struck by how the the prime directive is not just because about Archer and his crew. It's it's about us learning a lesson from other races around us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. And again, yeah, it's a point I think that we don't talk about much as fans because we take such a human centric view of mm-hmm. the story, and it's uh, about us being more advanced and should we spread that to lesser mm-hmm. cultures yeah interesting observation well and it's great to see because this is the reason you change the vulcans in the sense that you give them somewhere to grow because it does help understand then why like the vulcan reformation will be important why right. and and, yeah. and the coming together of of these these races too i mean Again, I think what's beautiful here in the first season, you know, so many people talk about that doesn't go fast enough. But I mean, the introduction of the Andorians here, I think, is phenomenal in the in this first season, because these are the this this is the trinity of the Federation. Right. Like these are these three cultures and races are going to be the ones that 
create what we know of as the Federation and be the basis for that. And so it's just neat that, I mean, I think so far they're doing a great job here in this first season of kind of showing us the the foundation that we're move we're going to move from. And like, it's not a great foundation when everybody's at each other's throats and that really gives you somewhere story-wise to go. So I got to compliment the writers here in this first season for really kind of building well a fun place for us to move from. Well, it's a much more interesting story as well when you have three groups who found something that is very unified in the future, but they come into it from different places and they come into it with mistrust and suspicion Mm -hmm. and conflict and they find a way to work together they find common ground and then they build something that's actually very beneficial for all of their worlds and for the galaxy later on again i think that's a great lesson uh, it's one yeah. that i i feel like uh, if i rewind to when this story was written i feel like it's a lesson that we understood better at that time than we do today and so rewatching this today, it highlights how cyclical the problems are in the world yep. and the struggle that we have as humans in society of, of trying to, to coexist and move forward together right. and that we need to be reminded of these things periodically. Chris, I like what you said there because I think it's really smart. And because I think the world was different then when this came out. I do think that we were moving towards coming together more. And yeah, we were. we've reverted back to kind of where these characters are and, and the these species are in, in this episode, which is in tribes, you know. And I think mm-hmm. it's fascinating because Enterprise is about moving towards a place where we come together as a collective group that for the benefit of one another, and yet we we still retain the beauty and of the cultures that we come from, but we create something together that recognizes all of that. And yeah, I mean, it just, uh, we seem so far away from that. And uh, that dream seems to be dying every day a little bit quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, that's true. While we're talking about Vulcans and we're talking about Archer here, there's this point that Saval makes to Forrest where he just suggests that maybe Gardner would have been a better choice of captain than Archer for this first Warp 5 ship heading out to explore space. And Gardner is someone we don't you know get to know much about, but... I think the implication is that Archer's a bit reckless and inexperienced, whereas maybe Gardner was more controlled and better suited for first contact situations and for representing Earth. Do you think that's true, or is Archer the right kind of captain for this mission? I get the feeling that they liked Gardner because he was more deferential to the Vulcans and would have been a lapdog. And... Archer is the complete opposite of that because of his experience and his father's experience with the Vulcans. And that's the thing that they don't like. And to me, 
that reading really makes sense when we look at these Vulcans and the way in which they act. And it is much closer to the way we are today. And that's exactly what you would want is you would kind of want more of a I mean, politically, you want more of a puppet captain, one who is going to defer to your judgment and to your quote unquote expertise. And I, I, you know, that's not Archer. And that's the reason I think they like Gardner better. I think he would have been more like that. And I do think, you know, Archer's more of the cowboy, right? He's more of a cowboy captain. And they, Mm -hmm. they, they just don't like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's Archer is more to me when I think of Enterprise as being a prequel to the original series. And I think about how Kirk approached his role as captain of the Enterprise. I think Archer makes a whole lot of sense. This type of character makes a whole lot of sense as the lead for this show, because if you think of the original series as a wagon train to the stars, if you think of space as the Wild West, as was the the way the show was originally pitched in the late 60s, this is very much the Wild West. This is just the unexplored frontier. And so you even more so, I think, need to tell interesting stories anyway. You need that type of captain. Now, mm-hmm. To play it safe and keep everybody alive and don't scratch the ship and don't get Earth into any squabbles with anyone, then yeah, maybe someone like Gardner would have made more sense. But I think what you say is true, that the Vulcans prefer someone they can control. They really don't want anyone who's going to question their orders, especially the Vulcan High Command, because the situation with T'Pol on the ship, like everyday interactions might be that T'Pol might disagree. She might think, oh, you're being too impulsive, but she also can go along with what the captain says because that's the the chain of command. And also she can just talk to him one-on-one. And, and Archer is generally, especially more so as season one goes along, open to listening to her. But the high command, they're up on their, their high and mighty at the top of the mountain and they know better than the humans and they especially don't want someone like archer running around questioning them and mm-hmm. i you know they feel like okay if the humans are going to go do this we told them not to but if they're going to go do it we're at least going to control what they do we're going to we're going to guide them in some way not necessarily to keep them out of trouble and safe but because you know we don't want right. anyone screwing up what we're doing like the spy facility on Pajem mm-hmm. or the involvement in what's going on on Corridan here. Well, and I do think, you know, that's one of the things where you the, the Vulcans are upset with T'Pol and that's why they reassign her or try to reassign her because they don't feel like she's doing a good enough job of controlling yeah, right. Archer. And that's not what it's all about. In fact, T'Pol is doing something that they did not even expect, which is to learn to understand humans in a way that no Vulcan seems to have tried in the last hundred years or so. And I think there's that's the real beauty. And and I love Jolene's performance in this episode. I thought it was really good, especially the moment where Archer tells her that she's going to be reassigned. And she's like, why? 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to get my scans of the the sector finished before I leave, you know, and she just plays it really well. She plays the captivity really well with, with Archer and their conversation where she kind of realizes that he cares about her like more mm-hmm. than yeah. she realized. And that, you know, a lot of fans made thought that this was going to be a romantic relationship. But what I think it is, is in many ways, he's truly trusting her. And she's becoming a person that he can look to for advice and he would consider a friend. And uh, that's something he needs more than romance right out here. And I think he's truly coming to respect her as a Vulcan and the way in which that can help him. And so this whole thing about her possibly being reassigned and what, you know, he and flocks cook up to keep her on the ship and hopefully just to keep her in general as well, I thought was all fantastic. And it, and again, it just goes to show these characters are growing together and creating the microcosm of what the Federation will become in the future, which is yeah. really neat. Right. Yeah. Because to that end, she's doing another thing that the high command didn't expect her to do. And that is to bring Archer closer to the Vulcans and to open up his mind to actually listening to them and considering cooperating with them instead of just feeling Mm -hmm. this animosity. He mentions it in this episode where he says, your people took something away from my father that was very Mm -hmm. important to him and you're not going to do it to me, you know? Yeah. Uh, Mutual respect goes a long way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I do. I do want to criticize this episode for one thing. There's really no good reason to have to Paul fall on top of Archer like that in the episode. It it's it's a little cringy. It's not needed. Um, I, you know, uh, it it's a trope in in movies for that kind of mm-hmm. thing to happen, and I don't think I don't think it was necessary. So I do I did want to call that out. People talk about how we agree all the time and or you know we're we're not critical enough and that was just a moment where it's like uh in retrospect not that was not cool yeah 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 there are those moments in enterprise where you see things like that that i think would probably not take place in the stories today but yeah. at this time that was still something that was falling in mm-hmm. even in star trek yeah for yeah. sure well, okay while we're talking about characters kind of do our outline out of order here a little bit. Jeffrey Combs comes back, of course, which is wonderful. Even more importantly, we already talked about Shran a little bit today. Shran's return to the storyline is very important. And when the Andorian incident aired, I remember just thinking that, oh, great, the Andorians are coming back because I love the Andorians. We don't get to see them very much. And it's awesome that they're going to make them well, I shouldn't say they're going to make them a part of the story because at that point in time, watching it in first run, we didn't know what they were going to do with them through the course of the series. But it was wonderful that they were going to bring them back. And of course, after Jeffrey Combs's performance in the Andorian incident, you could tell Shran was maybe going to be an important character. And now he comes back here and just... We already talked a little bit, actually, about the importance of him to the story because the friendship, the relationship that 
I don't know if friendship is the right word, but the relationship that he and Archer develop is important. But how do you feel about Shran in particular, uh, Jeffrey Combs as someone who we love from DS9 and what that brings to Enterprise? You know, I, I thought it was fabulous, you know, honestly, that they, they brought him back. And, and I love that he becomes an important character in this show. But I also love that through his performance, you know, we see something really important here about Andorians is that they have an honor code. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Klingons have, you know, they talk about honor all the time. But here specifically, Tran doesn't want to be in debt to somebody. You know, he he wants to have a relationship that doesn't have a honor hierarchy in the sense that like he feels like he owes anything to anyone. He wants to be on a level playing field with them. And I think that's a fun thing to be able to learn about uh, the Andorian specifically and about Shran. And I mean, Jeffrey Combs is just fantastic at whatever he does in Star Trek. He's been so good. Uh, he was great in Lower Decks playing maniacal uh, kill a robot, which was really fun. Um, (laughs) but you know, I, I just, I think, you know, if you're going to bring the Andorians back, it's great to continue this story. And as we look at the timeline, this is going to be something that's just so important to the rest of the series and the foundation of the Federation. And I love it. And I'm so glad that, that they cast him in this role and that they kept writing for him. You know when you got gold, and Jeffrey Combs is gold. Yeah, oh, for sure. In this particular story, as we're talking about how the three biggest founding members of the Federation slowly come together, the presence of the Andorians here, it's a lot more than just we love what you did in the Andorian incident, and this is a follow-up to that episode, so let's get the Andorians involved in another story. But the situation where Shran and Tholos, the other Andorian officer who's with him there, are going to go and get the officers out, going to rescue them, they at first dismiss the possibility, maybe it's partially because Shran doesn't want to be in debt to anyone like you're talking about. But also, I feel like they dismiss the possibility that the humans would be useful in the first place in an operation like that. But then they're convinced and Tholos agrees that, okay, yeah, maybe they would be helpful. And then the humans and the Andorians work together in this situation to rescue Archer and T'Pol. And it's another one of those where this story plants another one of those little seeds that just very, very slowly leads us towards the founding of the Federation. Yeah, I think, uh, like you, you said, one of the beauties of this episode is watching the Andorians and the humans work together. And... I think the Andorians are getting a, a really good picture of that humans are actually pretty useful and mm-hmm. would be a good ally because they seem to, one, they're they're closer in temperament towards each That's other. That's what I was and, just about to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, 
they are, I, I think the relationship is in especially between Archer and Shran, you're, there's this, this honor that they share, right? They're willing to do the right thing for people regardless of the cost to themselves or, you know, and so I I love that we're really building again this this great foundation for these these people to come together, and it's because of interaction. Like we talked about at the beginning, the fact that it you can't say things about people you don't actually know, right? Uh, if you're not spending time with anyone, and all you're doing is kind of like looking at at a, a social idea of who a group of people is well then you don't really know them and actually knowing people by getting to know them personally is what breaks down walls and if you still feel yeah. that way about people after you meet them well then you have a good reason for it otherwise it's just hearsay and i think it's so neat that this episode it shows a wrong way to do things and a right way Without explicitly telling you, you know, nobody stands there and gives a speech about how, oh, well, you know, and this is where the moralizing of Star Trek is at its best. If a character mm -hmm. has to give you a speech about how they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing and why it's so good, then that's terrible writing. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, it, your point about the temperament is exactly what I was thinking because the, and if you look at the three players here, the humans, the Vulcans and the Andorians, I think that the reason the relationship between the humans and the Andorians grows, and it all starts with Archer and Shran and this mutual respect that they have that starts to grow after the experiences of the Andorian incident. And then here is that when Andorians look at humans, I think they see a bit of a mirror. Whereas when they look at the Vulcans, they see someone who's quite different. And when you have someone who is quite different, I think it's easier for you to maybe maintain okay this is the case of humans and vulcans maintain a relationship that is cordial but it's also distant and it's a lot harder to really build forward with anything if you have someone who has a similar temperament perhaps the relationship can be a bit rocky at times there could be some conflict but the the word the view of where you want to go and being able to come together and work together towards that, I think can sometimes be a bit easier once you get past that initial mm -hmm. bumpiness in the road. And I think that's where the humans and the Andorians can come to work together a lot more because they do have a sense of honor, a sense of wanting to help someone else in a way that I don't see in the Vulcans of this time period. And if the Andorians hadn't come into the picture like this, I don't know, would the Federation have formed from just the relationship between Earth and Vulcans? Mm -hmm. Perhaps not. Well, and I was just thinking how, you know, uh, the original Star Trek trinity of Spock, Kirk, and McCoy, and how it 
when you think of the Federation, it's Earth, Vulcan, and Andor, and it's a very similar trinity, right? And I think we see that between to Paul, Archer, and Shran, too. You know, like and and it, yeah. you're you're creating all of these trinities, these triangles that of, of you know, and the best thing about those perfect triangles is all the sides are equal. Right. It, but they're all leading towards each other at the same time. So I think that's really interesting. And, and it, it, again, I do think that people criticize the writing of Enterprise, especially the first couple of seasons. But I do think that it seems like to me, as we look through this, they're, they are thinking about these ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the greatest strengths of this episode and the others related to it in the first season. So as we get ready to wind down here, I wanted to point out one other thing that I found interesting, which is that we actually visit Corridan here, which is on the timeline, the first mention of Corridan. But as a viewer, of course, we know them from Journey to Babel in the original series and we know that they were involved in the early years of the Federation. And one of the things that I love about Enterprise is its ability to add texture to the universe, which is, again, something that Larry Nemechek often talks about and we talk about on The Ready Room. And this is a great example of doing it and doing it in a way where it really feels organic and it makes sense. It's not this, hey, we're going to pluck something that you heard and past Star Trek, and we're going to throw it into the story because isn't it cool that we know a lot about Star Trek as the writers? Or we researched a lot before we wrote this story. You know, it's not that kind of thing. It's sort of, here's a race that we know is involved in the Federation. We don't know really how their relationship formed with the humans and the Vulcans or the Andorians. So let's right. find out and let's get them involved. And I thought that was really nice here. And then when we jump ahead to Star Trek Discovery, I know you haven't watched season three because you're not a Discovery fan, but they do bring the Corridans back early in that season. And one thing that I love about it in terms of the makeup is they clearly went back and they looked at the Corridans in Enterprise and maybe they did a little bit of revision to it, but not like crazy mm -hmm. kind of revision like they've done to some of the aliens. I thought they did a nice job of building a connection between what we see in Shadows of Pajem and then what we see later on in the future. So that was kind of a nice little connection there. Yeah, I and it's interesting too because I was also thinking, you know, Corridan is something that uh, becomes important for uh, the Rise of the Federation books Mm -hmm. uh, that we talked about on literary tracks. And so if you're kind of wanting more on that, you can you can get that because they play a big part uh, in that as well. So, you know, I, I do think, like you said, it is fun. Uh, this is the, the joy of a prequel is being able to dive into these um, lesser known parts or planets. And like you said, to be able to give them that texture, which is great. This is exactly what they should be doing. So, what are our final thoughts here on Shadows of Pajam, and what rating would you give this episode? I, I mean, this is a really good episode, uh, and it's a good episode of Enterprise, it's a good episode of Star Trek, 
And I think it it's great because it just it nicely follows up a previous story, builds on top of that. It's building on so many other things. And in all honesty, I'd say this is a four and a half out of five Corden Rebel camps because it's it's really good. And the only thing I'm I'm gonna ding it for is that one little thing that I would take out these days. Um and and even then I just don't think it was necessary. Otherwise, I mean, this is a phenomenal episode of 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 the show and one of the best of season one. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of the best of season one. And what I love about that is that it's possible because of another great episode earlier. And it shows this continuity that's building in the series. And DS9, of course, it was, we talk about on the orb all the time, really, really built that continuity into Star Trek. Yes. And we did see a bit of that in Voyager, not on the level of Deep Space Nine, but if you compare it with The Next Generation, for example, there is more continuity there. And that's being carried through in Enterprise. And especially here, we get that stronger element of continuity where instead of just referencing mm-hmm. that something happened before, like, oh, you scratched the ship or something like that, there's a major event that takes place that impacts the relation between humans and Vulcans. And now, once again, that major event is resurfacing and it's moving the story forward again. And then the other thing I love about this episode, as we've talked about, is that there's just a lot of world building in here where mm-hmm. we're finding out how we take those baby steps towards the Federation. And that's one of the things I wanted from the series. And I think they do a really nice job of putting it in here. And then again, I love the mention of, of Corridans. And one thing I didn't mention talking about Star Trek Discovery is that the Vulcan mm-hmm. ship that comes in here is named the Navar, which is of course a name that comes from the novels a, a long time ago and then resurfaces in Star Trek Discovery. And just in case someone hasn't seen that, I will not explain how, but it's another uh, reference. It's not a direct connection because it existed before, but I, it just stood out to me in rewatching the episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give this episode eight and a half synthesized chicken sandwiches nice which i'm actually kind of hungry for right now (laughs) me too actually (laughs) (laughs) all right well we would love to hear your thoughts on shadows of pajam if you'd like to share those with us there are many ways you can do that the best way to join in a discussion is to join the babel conference that is our closed listeners group on facebook it's just for truck fm listeners And if you're not already a member, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it should come right up. If not, just type the whole name. It is a closed group, as I mentioned, so you'll be asked some questions, and you need to agree to the rules of the forum. Please do answer the questions and agree to the rules so that I can let you in. Once there, you'll find that we put a post for each episode, and you can join into the discussion right there in that thread. And if you'd like to contact us by email, you can do that. Just go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, and choose to send to a show. Choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And if you'd like to find us on Twitter, our username is trekfm. And that is our username pretty much everywhere, including on Instagram. Well, Matthew, when you're not scanning planets looking for alien tractors, where can people find you? 
Well, you can uh, find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero, any of those type of places. Uh, you can find me here on the network on our whole other side of the network, the Six Hundred Two Club, as we talk about all of the fandoms that we love. Uh, and because well, we talk a lot of Star Trek, and there's a lot of other stuff we want to talk about. Uh, you can also find. Uh, Snyder Cuts, as well as Assembling Avengers in that same feed, some bonus shows that we do there, and then also doing Literary Treks and The Orb. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And, of course, Chris, The Orb is where we get to talk Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, I have a finished show called Owl Post I did with Dre Kaufman, where we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast, doing that with John Mills, as every week we talk about Star Wars. Now, Chris, when you're not eagerly searching for a synthesized chicken sandwich, where can people find you? Well, you can find me in social media, of course, on Twitter. That is my preferred platform, where my username is C. Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere on social media, although Twitter is where I'm most active you can also find me in the Babel Conference, as I mentioned a moment ago. And then behind the mic here on the network, you mentioned Literary Treks, which I do with you sometimes, and also The Orb, where we talk Deep Space Nine. If you love our discussions of Enterprise, if you like this type of discussion and exploration of Star Trek, then you'll enjoy The Orb, I believe, so check that out. Then there's The Ready Room, which Larry Nemechek and I do from time to time. And then I have other shows you can find me in a lot of the back catalog for many podcasts, and I'm doing other network stuff behind the scenes. And if you'd like to help us keep all of that going, we could definitely use your help through Patreon. If you want to find out how to become involved in the network and how to help us keep Warp 5 and the 602 Club and all the other shows we've talked about going, just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to find out how could really use your help. It's been a very difficult couple of years, and we could not do this without you. And I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who is supporting us now. It really means a great deal to us, and it's thanks to you that we can keep all this podcast discussion going. So thank you very much. Well, Matthew, I'm going to go grab a bottle of whiskey. I understand you're going to bring the blankets, and I just, I just have this feeling, it's like a premonition that Next week, we might get stuck in Shuttle Pod 1 together. Well, Chris, I mean, I guess that sounds fun, so let's <laughs> go. <laughs> <laughs>